Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone that we do have two event series. The first one focuses on big data and data science. It's called Strata Data Conference, and you can find that at strataconf.com. The second conference focuses on AI. It's called the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at o'reillyaicon.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I sat down with Jeffrey Bradway, VP of Engineering at Numeri, a new hedge fund that relies on contributions from external data scientists. The company hosts regular competitions where data scientists submit machine learning models for a variety of classification tasks. The most promising submissions are then added to an ensemble of models, which the company uses to trade in real-world financial markets. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Jeffrey Bradway, welcome to The Data Show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's start off by talking a little bit about your background. So you're currently the VP of Engineering at Numeri, but uh, you seem to have had a longstanding interest in finance. And I see that you also worked at DeepMind. So maybe let's describe a little bit of the Google and DeepMind work first, and then uh, your your longstanding interest in, in finance. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's probably a bit better to start in chronological order. So originally in in school, I studied you know real analysis, and I did my master's in statistics, and that sort of got me geared on the mindset of how do we make you know good decisions, right? Like how can we evaluate all of the data you know in the world and use that to inform what we should do? And from that that sort of core interest, that's what spurred my initial interest into more or less like artificial intelligence and finance at the same time. And then, you know, so during grad school, I was working with this guy at Caltech who was doing experimental finance. And the whole idea was how do we use, you know, the scientific method to really understand what's going on in the financial sector? Like if you have a financial theory, how can you, you know, how can you test that in a concrete way? So was it uh, using simulated data or real data? So it was using real data that we'd collect ourselves. So we had this software platform called FlexiMarkets. And what we would do is we'd bring in 40 people and we would say, okay, you're going to try and optimize you know, your criteria based off of this. And you're going to trade based off of like this decision criteria. And then we would let these unfold. And then we'd get all of the experimental data of who traded what to whom. And then you can use that in like a controlled A-B testing environment where, okay, you give one set of users, you know, one one criteria, another set of users, another criteria, and you can really co- like compare and contrast the results. So then was the, uh, so the output would be uh, academic papers? Yeah, basically. So what kinds of techniques were you guys using? Was it mostly uh, statistical and things in econometrics? Yeah, well, so the, the techniques sort of varied for what we were trying to test. So like, for example, one of the things we were trying to test was how, how do robotic trading, how does that affect financial markets, right? Does that, you know, there's a lot of theories that, okay, the prices are a lot better because people can act on information a lot faster. But then there are a lot of theories that say, oh, hey, no, this actually, you know, increases a lot of volatility because it introduces flash crashes and all these things. And so, you know, the like the first thing we did to test that was really, okay, let's just try, you know, try running it with standard markets and see what happens. You know, and we would see like flash crashes. But then for other things that are like more robust, like, okay, how do we make a marketplace that can, 
you know, consistently have a bubble, those, those, there's like a lot more background. So we were, we had sort of the technique like better done just because, you know, there's, there's tons of history in that area. So then uh, you ended up at Google uh, mm-hmm. doing what? Yeah. So I was on two different teams there. So I was, uh, my first team at YouTube was large scale experimentation. So this is sort of the team where it says, you know, okay, we would run the AB testing framework behind YouTube, right? So we were, you know, we were core infrastructure and our job was to sort of make a product that any engineer could use to figure out in a statistically meaningful way if their change was good for YouTube. And then, yeah, after YouTube, I was working at DeepMind for a bit. And my role at DeepMind was, so I was a research engineer there and my um, the research scientist who I was paired up with was really interested in sort of like cognitive science. So how you know, humans have a very good understanding about how the world works, about, you know, what, you know, what will happen if you drop your pen, if you throw something, if you pull this block out of a tower, you know, and they also have a good intuition of, you know, like a layout, like if you go into a house, you can sort of expect to see certain things. So a lot of our research was focused on how do you sort of incorporate this, you know, this information about the world into your algorithms, or how do you make your algorithms like able to learn these features? So for our listeners out there who aren't that aware of DeepMind or some of these positions in general, so how, what's the distinction between the research engineer on the one hand and the research scientist? Uh, well, yeah, so the research engineers, those are usually the more just like veterans of the field. So these were mostly like professors or people who have completed their PhDs who are like, who are very, very good researchers. And a lot of the research engineers um, are less they were less academic, they were, and they were just better at engineering, right? So like, my job would be to work with the research engineer and, you know, to like, understand what he wanted me to do, and basically make that run, at you scale. know, on a, yeah, at scale. Yeah, on, on Google's infrastructure. Yeah, which, yeah, that poses a lot of challenges, you know, just by itself, right? Like, how do you, you know, how do you parallelize these algorithms? How do you make it effectively run on, you know, like infinite resources, so on and so forth? So that sounded actually quite uh, a good opportunity from you for you, right? So you started out on the YouTube team and ended up a deep mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so now you're at Numerai, uh, mm-hmm. which is a startup that's hard for me to describe. So I'll let you describe. So why don't you describe to our listeners what Numerai is and what it does? Yeah, for sure. So what Numerai does is when you think about hedge funds, a lot of what sort of quantitative hedge funds do is they get really nice data sets. They run a couple of, you know, statistical modeling algorithms, maybe some ML ML algorithms, you know, and they transform that into basically like price signals. And then you can use that to buy and sell. And so what we do at Numerai is we take... That's what I did. I was a quant for two and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, but so at Numerai, basically, we believe that you know, we can get, you know, there are other people in the world who are better data scientists than we are, but we sort of have the financial backgrounds. So what we can do is we can take very good financial data and we can actually encrypt it in such a way where the structure is preserved enough to do machine learning on it, but you can't tell what it is. And then because we can do that, we can actually release our data set out in data science tournaments. And then users can come they can download the model or they can download our data, excuse me. And that just looks like a giant CSV, you know, with a bunch of features and, you know, targets. And then they can train their own models, try and predict what will happen in the future and upload that to our website. A couple of questions. First, uh, when you say finance data, are you just 
uh, talking about you know the price data that you see, right? So open, high, low, close of uh, that you see the uh, time series data from financial markets. In which case, in which case, why 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 would you need to encrypt it? Because isn't it just uh, open to the public? No. So this this uh, this data isn't open to the public, which is one of the reasons we need to encrypt it. But also, we want to encrypt it specifically to. So what sort of what what data is it then? I I, I can't talk about that. Oh, okay, okay. But um, no, but but a big reason why we sort of encrypt it to get rid of all the information is to actually remove a lot of human biases, right? Because if you think about if you think about how people trade finance, they say like, oh, you know, I think that these three math factors are really good. You know, I'm going to make an algorithm based off of that, or maybe an algorithm based off of like intuition or what I think the financial market should do. And those are all kind of like Ouija board, like crock pottery, in my opinion. And so what we do is we sort of strip out all that information. And so really it depends on like, okay, can you find meaningful signal in the data? Like, is there an empirical way of figuring out what's good and what's bad? So here's, so I get a CSV file with a hundred columns. So what sorts of things do I do with the the CSV data? I mean, you can run, you know, your favorite algorithms on it. You can figure out like, okay. I, I guess what task am I charged with? Am I supposed to make a prediction? Yeah, so it's um it's a simple classification task. So you download the CSV, there's a bunch of features, and then there's targets that we basically we give you some testing data, which has the targets you uh you know, the true targets, and then we give you sort of yeah, testing data which doesn't have those and you're supposed to submit those to our website. So basically it's uh it's uh, a typical machine learning data set and I participate so why would I want to participate? What do I get out of participating? Do I is there a leaderboard? Do I uh, win a prize? Yeah, so both both of those actually. So yeah, there's a leaderboard which sort of shows off a couple weeks a couple weeks after the tournament finishes. It shows off how well people did on real stock market data, and then we pay out users based off of how well they performed. So how much? Uh, so the way you describe it, it doesn't seem like I need to know that much about finance. No, yeah, we're sort of trying to set it up in such a way where our users don't have to know a lot about finance. And, you know, they can just be very, very good data scientists, and they can leave sort of the like financial data munging up to us. As I prepared for this interview, I read an article about Numerai, and Mm -hmm. uh, I forget which publication, but they described also there's a, a blockchain component to everything you're doing. So explain, explain the role of the blockchain. Yeah, so... A big problem we were running into is, so for a long time, we were sort of paying off users based off of how well they did on a backtest. And the problem, you know, as any good data scientist knows, the problem with that is you can sort of, you know, you can overfit to your backtest, right? You do a model, it scores you, it tells you how well you do. You slightly tweak your model, you know, it slightly scores you better. And you can keep doing that until you get really, really good on a backtest, but that just destroys your ability to generalize in the future. Or if as if you if you read any kind of financial disclaimer, past performance isn't indicative of future performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so so what we wanted to do is we wanted to make a mechanism that actually you know makes it irrational for users to want to overfit. And so that sort of took the form of you know we call it numeraire. And the idea is you get this token that has some value, and what you want to do is. You can use that to essentially stake your predictions. So you can say like, hey, I think these predictions are really good. And then 
if your predictions are good in the sense that they perform better than random live, we'll give you your tokens back and we'll give you some um, additional payout basically. And so what this token lets us do is this token lets us sort of assess the user's confidence in their model, right? Because the more they stake their own model, the more payouts they can get. So if a user is super duper confident and they stake a lot of numeraire, we know that we can trust those models more than if somebody like knows they overfit and stakes less. I see. I see. So, but then uh, the ultimate validation is uh, towards uh, future data. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I mean, uh, in the live, live, live financial markets, not not the historical. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know how old the company is, but uh, to date, what kind of background uh, are do the participants have? If you were to do a quick survey of them, are they? Do they run the gamut? Are there people with PhDs, people self-taught data scientists? Uh, what's a typical profile? Yeah, so we so a big part of what we our platform stresses is sort of user like anonymity. You know, we pay out in Bitcoin. We, you know, we don't require them to like submit an ID or anything. But we so we don't know a ton about our entire user base, but we do know a bit about them. And yeah, no, we have really good people. So some of the top Kaggle performers, you know, participate pretty regularly on us. We know of a couple of machine learning like professors. And yeah, we know like a lot of people like it to sort of get started in the ML space. And so, yeah, I think you see a large overlap with, yeah, sort of like Kaggle users almost. I was just like, these are, you know, these are people who love to do data science. They love to, you know, download and really figure out what's going on and really make good models. And, they, you know, they love scoring high on the leaderboard to show off how good they are. So at this point, this... Uh... The ability to participate is ongoing. Is that right? So there's no start and end of a contest. Uh, no, there. so there are start, definite starts and ends, but we do a new one every week. And so, yeah, every day or every week at Wednesday at 2 p.m., we upload sort of new new data. You can go download it, submit any time in the next week, and then you're eligible for payoffs when we calculate payoffs. And then um, payouts, excuse me, payoffs sounds worse <laughs> so, so, so generally generally as you described earlier the type the type of uh, tasks you're looking for is classification so it's not necessarily like forecasting time series or anything like that uh, no. so uh, have you have, have you been able to kind of uh, do a census of the types of submissions people uh, give like can you tell like is XG boost or deep learning? So what are, what are some of the techniques that people are using and, and uh, what are the ones that seem to be prevailing? Yeah, so we don't, we try not to put too much emphasis on, you know, one type of model like, oh, you know, we really want all our users to submit. You no, know, no, 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 I'm, because... just, I'm just curious based on uh, the submissions, what's popular and uh, what seems to win? Because uh, I do know that if you talk to Anthony Goldblum, the CEO of... Uh, Kaggle, uh, they're able to analyze and they're able to say, okay, so this is what uh, seems to be popular now in Kaggle, and this is what seems to be winning a lot of contests. Yeah, so internally, that's less of a big deal for us because we don't care if, you know, a neural net can, you know, like usually can consistently outperform things or like a linear regression or whatever. What we really care about is like, okay, can we get, you know, an ensemble of a couple hundred of these to consistently outperform any individual one. So we're more concerned about all of the submissions as a whole than any sort of particular ones or any particular types. So you you came from Google with an in, 
kind of uh, mostly on the engineering side. So obviously you care about uh, the difference between a prototype and something that gets deployed in production. So mm -hmm. do you care about kind of the ease of implementation to production and, and things like that? Yeah, that's, that's obviously a big thing. Um, we don't want to do, yeah, because you can have sort of like an insanely complicated model yes. that, you know, takes, takes like days and days to train, but in, you know, like in the financial realm, in a lot of cases, like if it takes days and days, like you've sort of already lost, right? You need you need to have things that work really well, but they also have to be they have to be ready to be put in production like fast. So, what uh, I don't know if you can disclose this, but uh, how many people typically participate in a given week? Uh, usually, it's around three hundred or so. Wow, that's that's uh, that's still a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So from yeah, all, I mean, from at this point, from all over the world. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. So, so if you look at the platform you folks built, which basically is a platform for doing machine learning contests with some notion of encrypting the underlying data set and also some notion of using the blockchain to reward people who, who, whose models do well on live data, on real, real world data as opposed to back, backfitting. What other problems do you think you can use this for? Like what other scenarios besides finance? It seems like something that can be used to solve other types of problems. Yeah, so a lot of the motivation from this actually comes, you know, the motivation behind Numerai comes from these, you know, large-scale tournaments, right? You see Kaggle, you see the Netflix prize, um, but you see a lot of the ones that are, you know, like they're very sensitive tournaments, right? There was the one healthcare tournament where, you know, they, they thought they had, de-anonymized it, you know, they had gotten rid of all the sensitive data, but then you had users who were able to figure out particular senators' healthcare. And so I think this, like this idea, this business model has great applications, basically where the data is very, very sensitive. So this could be, you know, finance data, this could be healthcare data, but this could also just be like, you know, corporation data, right? Like, you know, Amazon wouldn't want to necessarily open source their logistics data because that's very, very valuable for them. You know, that's something that gives them an edge. So anything where it's like, it'd be, it'd be fantastic to have models on this, but sharing the data is hard. Right, right. But also you have that extra, you have the other element of, I guess, penalizing people for overfitting. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, that that seems to be something that companies who actually want to use the output would value, right? So because they want it to actually work in the real world. Yeah, well, there are, so a lot of, um, there is like this related field in computer science called sort of differential privacy. Right. And yeah, it's it's sort of the subfield that really talks about like, okay, how can you do, you know, how can you release data sets so that nobody can sort of mine it? And then there's a related field that has to do with sort of adaptive data analysis where it's, okay, given the fact that, yeah, everybody ha everybody's doing adaptive analysis, right? You run a model, you get feedback, you run another model based off of that feedback, and you keep doing that. How, how can you make those statistically sound? And yeah, like this is still a very, very new field in CS. So I don't think a lot of places have adopted it. But yeah, like there are starting to become a good, a good amount of techniques that people can use. So you hinted earlier that uh, in any given week, you, got, you folks run a contest and uh, you may take a few of the winners from that contest and and uh, use it in some larger uh, ensemble. So mm -hmm. I'm so I'm interpreting that the ensemble is 
is basically uh, uh, what the company actually uses for its own uh, trading. And so then it, there's some notion of the ensemble being kind of the collective intelligence of hundreds and hundreds of data scientists. Yeah, exactly. And so then, exactly. uh, so then uh, the one question is, uh, you know, I may win your contest this week, but then when you guys try to implement and add me to the ensemble, I actually uh, become uh, a burden because I'm too complicated. My model is too complicated or already correlated with other things that are part of the ensemble, right? So not everything that wins necessarily gets added to the ensemble, I guess is my question. Yeah, so one of the one of the filterings we actually do for you to be eligible for our tournament is you have to pass an originality check. So that is, you know, when you submit your model, we basically compare it to all of the current models that have been submitted. And if it's too similar to any particular one, we actually reject it. So you need so we we almost impose it in our competition structure that you submit something that is useful to the ensemble. Oh, so then uh, so let's say let's look to there's a contest next week, right? So when when do I enter this filtering stage? The week before? No, just whenever you submit. We um, I see. Yeah, whenever whenever you submit, you're compared to sort of all of the other current submissions. So that's yeah, that's actually it's like it can be a little good because that you know, encourages users to submit early, right? But because then it's easier to pass originality. But yeah, no, this is trying to get users to always submit, you know, interesting things that will help out the ensemble. So um, let's let's take a step back. Uh, we may go, come back to Numerai in a second here, but uh, what other developments in AI in general, or perhaps the intersection between AI and finance have caught your attention? So I really love all of the current work that's being done in reinforcement learning. So oh, that yeah. was sort me of too. me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. No, when I when I took uh when I took AI back in college, that was like my the, like the coolest algorithm that I learned. And I actually wrote my my thesis on using reinforcement learning in finance. And now to see like, you know, five years later, like it's really taking off and you know like it has super big name support from from all of these big companies and you see it like winning Go tournaments. Like that just makes me pretty happy. So speaking of which, so a few a few months ago, I had an editor. I gave the editor of task of of you know, can you investigate if deep learning is being used in finance? So I made introductions to people I knew in the financial world, and I guess kind of our takeaway is that people are trying it, but then maybe they are using it, and then as you know, in finance, the people who are actually probably using it don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So what's your impression of? Uh, so set aside Numerai, but just the broader financial world. So uh, what's your impression of the use of deep learning and reinforcement learning in finance? Is it is it happening? Well, so re- reinforcement learning is sort of a hard, a hard problem to apply to finance, just because if you think of the way like a stock market works, like you don't have a stock, like a good stock market simulator, right? So it's, it's really hard to do you know, to do what you can do with an Atari game and, you know, play the Atari game over and over and over. Like, you can only play, like, the stock market once with historical data, right? And there's not um, much of it. Yeah, exactly. So, but, like, deep learning, on the other hand, I feel like that's much, much more promising just because, yeah, like, the whole point of a deep net is to find these abstract patterns that humans can't find over lots of data. And that's, you know, that's exactly what makes a lot of these financial institutions thrive is by being able to find you know patterns that nobody else can so as you look to the rest of 2017 and maybe the first half of 2018 since you're the vp of engineering at numerai 
to the mm -hmm. extent you're comfortable. So what kinds of things are on your roadmap for the platform? Yeah, so the next the next big thing we're working on is launching our cryptocurrency. So we we sort of announced that in February. And yeah, the thing with, you know, doing like Ethereum tokens is it's like you can once it goes on chain, it's permanently on chain. And so if there's a bug in it, then you're you know, you're kind of up the creek. And so we've just been spending a lot of work, you know, making sure that's perfect. And once that's real, like once that's released for good, we'll probably sp be spending a lot of time tweaking our numerary tournament to just make sure we're sort of getting the best user predictions we can. Oh, yeah. So I thought, uh, so a couple of questions there. One, I thought that actually the, the what is it called? The currency numerary? I, mm -hmm. thought, I thought it was live. I guess it's not yet. That's what you're saying. No, no, no. So we, we announced, um, like, we really wanted to work with our users to make it. So we sort of announced it in February. We, you know, released our white paper. We released our initial contract really to just get, you know, feedback for, okay, do you guys think this is a good idea? How could we do it better? And yeah, and really like make it more of a community effort. I guess the, and then the other question is uh, uh, the blockchain. Obviously, you're going to use Ethereum, but mm -hmm. the, so, uh, in many ways, you're kind of subject to whatever bugs uh, are on Ethereum. Because uh, wasn't there a bug that brought down Ethereum for a while? Oh. Yeah, that was. I think you're talking about the the DAO bug. Yes. Yeah. 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 But so I don't know too much about that. But I'm pretty sure that was like a DAO specific thing. So it's like the way they had written their their security contract basically had a like a big exploitable flaw. So that's why we've been like taking our time, really making sure like our contract doesn't have any flaws, like, you know, getting it audited, getting, you know, people who work in the space to look at it, so on and so forth. Cool. Well, this has been great. Uh, so what uh, uh, what's your pitch to our listeners? And we have a lot of data scientists out there. So uh, why should they start participating in uh, Numerai moving forward? It's a lot of fun. I mean, if, if these people really like data scientists and they really like cool data sets, like we definitely have have a really neat one. Plus we have the thing where it's, plus we have the advantage of you get live feedback. So it's not, you know, it's not some weird, you know, back test or it's not some weird like cross-validation test. You're really seeing how you do, you know, how your model works in the real world. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jeffrey. Yeah, thank you for having me. You can follow Jeffrey Bradway on Twitter, either at Numerai or at Garrulous Jeff. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.